Welcome to How Leaders Lead. I'm Kula Callahan here to bring you another edition of Three More Questions with David Novak. David Novak, I'm here with you in the flesh. We never do this in person. We have never done it before, but let's give it a go and see how it goes. All right. Well, today we're discussing your conversation with Carol Tomei. She's the CEO of UPS. And this conversation is incredible. She's got so much energy. She's so dynamic. And the stories she tells just really exemplify who she is as a leader. You know, Kula, the thing that really impressed me about Carol is that she's just so real. She's authentic. She's very open. She tells it like she sees it. And she's passionate about UPS and is making big things happen there. And it's a great podcast where, where I learned a lot just by listening to her. I learned a lot too. And if you haven't listened to the episode, definitely go back in the feed and listen to it because you will not want to miss it. I laughed. I didn't cry, but I almost cried. She's an incredible leader and has incredible lessons for all of us to learn from. And today I'm excited to dive a little bit deeper into that conversation and ask you our three more questions for today. Well, first of all, Kula, I'm glad you didn't cry because there was no reason to cry and listen <laughs> well, to Carol. What, what was the part that made you almost cry? I don't know. I was just feeling really inspired and emotional. Is that okay? Yeah, I guess that's okay. <laughs> you know, I, I thought she was great, but she didn't bring me to tears. <laughs> well, maybe I laughed so hard I almost cried. So maybe those were the tears we came from. But anyways, let's roll into today's questions. All right. Question number one. In the episode, Carol shares a powerful story about one of the first performance reviews she administered as a leader. And I actually want to listen to this clip and hear the story from Carol. Perhaps it was the biggest lesson I learned early in my leadership days was the importance of putting people first. I had a woman who was working for me who really needed some coaching. She wasn't hitting it on all cylinders, and she needed some coaching. And David, I, I didn't want to do it. I didn't understand the importance of leadership that's about investing in them and putting them first. In fact, I was so not wanting to do this that it was time to give her her performance review, and I actually gave her review on the phone. Well, you can imagine what she did. She quit. And do you blame her? Of course not. But what was in my face is that she didn't quit the company. She quit me. She quit me because I was a bad leader. So I vowed on that day that from that moment on, nobody would ever quit me again. If they left me, they were leaving me because it was a great opportunity, or they were going to leave me because it was time for them to go retire or the job wasn't right for them. But no one was going to quit me. And since that incident, which happened in the 1980s, no one has ever quit me because I am laser-focused on putting people first. All right, David, in your opinion— what is the most important thing a leader can do so that their employees don't want to quit them? Well, I, I think Carol tells a, a story that I think would hit any leader in the gut. And it's great that she took that to heart and, and really worked on, you know, being someone that invests in her people. And, you know, there are two reasons why people leave jobs. Cool. And this has been quantified time and time again. But they will quit when number one, they don't feel appreciated for what they do. So I think it's very important that you recognize people for the great things that they're doing for you and, and for the company. The other reason why they quit is they don't get along with their, their boss. Uh, they view their boss as their boss. They feel like their boss just tells them what to do. The boss doesn't really get them involved and engaged 
And as a result, you know, they leave. What they're really looking for is a coach. And I've said this before, being a boss is archaic. I mean, that's something that people talked about 50 years ago. I think what you really want to be today is, is a coach. So if you want to keep your people, you want to recognize them. You want to be a great coach. And remember, no one will care about you until you let them know you care about them. So it's so important to let people know that you're invested in their career. You're invested in helping them become the best they can be and that you're there as a coach to help them grow. You know, that's so true. When I've been in jobs in my past where I've not felt appreciated and not gotten along with my boss or felt coached by my boss, I have contemplated leaving. And so I think that's such practical advice for leaders really in any organization at any level. If you recognize your people for the behaviors you want to see them continue doing, and if you offer them coaching that helps them develop as a person and as an employee, you have a pretty good chance at retaining that talent and they're not going to want to quit you. And that's something I think every great leader wants to do. You got to keep your key talent and you never want to be surprised. You never want to be surprised when somebody walks in your office and says, I'm leaving. You either want them to leave or you got to look yourself in the mirror and say, hey, what could have I have done differently? And again, what I think in almost every situation you could have done differently is let people know they're appreciated and be a great coach and show them that you care about them. Well, we can certainly learn a lot about that from you and from Carol Tomei. We're going to move on to question number two. A lot of people say that it's lonely at the top. You know, they become a CEO or they become a high-level executive and they feel really lonely. And in the episode, you asked Carol what she does to combat that loneliness as the CEO of UPS. David, what advice would you give leaders who feel like they're all alone at the top? Well, first of all, I have to tell you, that's a question that you get asked a lot as a CEO, but I never really felt that lonely at the top. You know, I think sometimes you feel lonely because you have to make the final decision, but I never made those decisions alone. What I had was a group around me that I really could lean on and get their advice, get their input and hear what they had to say. And once I got that advice and that input, that's when I made the decision. But I think when you are really lonely, it's when you isolate yourself and you don't open yourself up and, and you're, you're not, you know, someone that goes to other people and walks to their office or, or gives them the phone call proactively. You know, you, you just kind of get in your own little bubble. And I, I never was in a bubble. I was always out there and talking to people and, and had an open door policy. And, you know, that's one of the things I always think is kind of funny. I have an open door policy. You know, <laughs> I, I, I kind of hate that phrase. But you do want it so that people can come in and talk to you and know that you're really open-minded and, and ready to serve them and help them uh, get through whatever challenge or obstacles that they have or build on the great ideas that they have. Right. I feel like people who experience loneliness really experience a lack of connection. So if you do make your way to the top, making a really intentional effort to connect with the people around you in a way that's authentic and vulnerable and shows them that you'll be open if they're open will help you avoid that sense of loneliness or isolation. And you know what, Kula? It doesn't happen when you're just at the top. I mean, you don't have to get to the top to, to open up yourself and be vulnerable. You need to do it from day one. And, and the people that do that, 
guess what? They get people really wanting to help them and support them and help them move up the ladder. And when you've got that positive uh, inertia from the people around you and the people below you and people above you want to see you succeed, you know, guess what happens? You succeed. I love it. All right. Question number three. Probably my favorite part of the episode is when Carol talks about wargaming. She actually asks her employees to assume the personality of their competitors and attack them. And she says that this exercise actually opens them up to lots of new ideas for innovation and opportunities. I'm curious what your take on this idea of wargaming is and also how you explain the importance of really understanding your competitors. Well, I think Carol brings up a good point. There's so much to be learned from your competition. And, and one of the, the big things you need to do is to try to put yourself in the minds of your, your competition and try to understand how they'd be thinking and what they may do next. And I think that's what she means by, by wargaming is, you know, try to figure out what their next move is. And then what are you going to do if they make that move? And, you know, I think that is so important, you know, to really understand how your customers might be thinking and more importantly, what they might be doing to really disrupt your business. I look at competition as a source of ideas. You know, I always felt that you should really be on top of what your competition is doing, seeing what they're doing that's working, not working, and then seeing if there's ways that you could transfer the good ideas that they're doing to your business and, and take advantage of it. So my team and I, we never went on a market tour. We didn't go into competitive restaurants and see what they were doing or even go into some great retail stores and see what they were doing to get some ideas that we might transfer over to the restaurant business. You know, competition really makes you stronger if you look at it as something that is a plus in terms of what's going to drive your IQ points of your organization forward. You know, I think a lot of people look at competitors and almost get afraid because they see it as a threat. And, you know, you're always kind of threatened by your competitors in a way and you're always trying to outperform them. But I think making that shift from seeing your competition solely as a threat to seeing it as a source of ideas and innovation is a really powerful mindset shift that leaders can make. Yeah, well, you definitely want to beat your competition to those big ideas. (laughs) But when they do it, you know, one of the great things leaders do is they do two things. They try to create more value than competition, always. And that's the total value equation, not just pricing, the customer experience and whatever. And then you need to block every competitive move. So if a competitor comes up with a really good idea, you just can't give them that space. You've got to block it. And, and make sure that that competitor that's trying to gnaw away at your leadership position, and I was always blessed enough to be working in leadership brands, you just don't let them get away with that for very long. I love all this aggressive language we're using to talk about competitors, wargaming and attacking and gnawing and pursuing these people. I mean, it's a really important part of the business that a lot of folks overlook a lot. Well, I want to. I think the important thing here and the reason why all that language comes into play, just think about what you hear when you, football players are talking about what they have to do, basketball <laughs> players are totally. talking. You know, when you're competing, you're trying to win. And there's so many similarities in every industry. And your competition is a part of the challenge, but it's also a part of the fun because you want to beat them. You want to kick their butts. And uh, (laughs) at the same time, you know, learn everything that they've learned and put it to use in your company better, faster than, than they might do it. That's so fun. What an energizing way to look at things. I love that insight. 
All right, David, well, that wraps up our episode of three more questions for today. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of How Leaders Lead. We're on a mission to make the world a better place by developing better leaders. And if you carve out a little time with us each and every week, we'll help you build the confidence you need to lead well. And next week, we have got a real fire plug on this show. (laughs) I'm talking about Bernie Marcus, the co-founder of Home Depot, one of the most legendary retailers and merchandisers in the history of the industry. He's 93 years old. And let me tell you something, he's not short on opinions. (laughs) (laughs) So tune in next Thursday and listen to the great Bernie Marcus.